0: Following is a special KMOX sports presentation. Welcome to The Strike Zone, powered by Gray Bar, your source for electrical and data communication products for more than 150 years. Now, The Strike Zone on America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
1: Oh, it's time for baseball, and I feel a rant coming on. I just started last segment and. That was just like a mini, like precursor. That was like the appetizer. I feel a rant coming on. Not, not uh, by the way, in any kind of attempt to offer up any defense of you know what happened at the ballpark today, or that the Cardinals lost two out of three to the Orioles. Those things suck. They're not good. Um, you know, I. It's not about defending anything really today. My ranting today is more about understanding, and it's more about. Trying to, I really, I, I, honestly, God, I'm, I, I do it in anger because it's frustrating to be asked the same stupid things all the time about the same people. Can't believe they still have Jeff Albert. From people that clearly don't even demonstrate even a basic knowledge of what a hitting coach does. but I, I, I want to spend some time talking about the Cardinals offense in general here at the beginning. And then I want to talk about Tyler O'Neill specifically a little bit later on. And I got a few other baseball related things that I want to get into, but you know, I, and some of this is, you know, I spent way too much time last night arguing with a dude on Twitter about hating coaches and blaming coaches and all that stuff. And I, I, so yeah, I realize that most people are not super irrational. I'm not even saying this guy was irrational, but he was very dug in on his opinion without having done any research whatsoever, and that's a problem. Like if you haven't been willing to do any research or digging, well, you know you can't really dig in. Do some homework, then then come back. But I, I'm I'm trying. What I'm trying to get at here is a few things. Number one, what an offense is. of the way through the season, which is where the Cardinals are after their loss today, is not necessarily an indicator of what they're going to be when the season is over or what they're going to be for the next four and a half months. And And I do think that we as human beings have the ability to understand context, to understand that a slow start or an inconsistent team... Is not the same thing as a terrible team. Is not the same thing as something that you should be panicked about. So let's take a snapshot look at the Cardinals' offense as it is today. Where do they rank compared to the rest of the league? Where do they rank? You know, how are things going? Now, part of the problem here is. Understanding the context. And here's part of the problem. And I'm sorry if this applies to you. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I'm not sorry. I'm going to say this without any apology. Too many people don't watch baseball. They don't watch anything outside of their own team. If you only watch the Cardinals and you don't pay attention to anything else, you're lacking important context because then what people end up doing is like, well, their team batting average is 241. That's terrible. Well, sure, it would have been terrible 10 years ago. Well, the league batting average is 232. As a team, as a player, all you are is a product of the time in which you're playing. So offense is down around the sport. And if you're not paying attention to that, if you don't understand that a team batting average of two forty-one, however offensive that might seem to your 1985 mind, is actually sixth best in the uh, National League. So if I'm doing the math correctly, that means there are only five teams in the league that are better than that, and there are nine teams that are worse than that. And if I remember correctly, again, you guys can help me out, but I believe five is less than nine. I think I saw that somewhere, probably on Twitter. And the reason I'm bringing this up, again, is all about context. Are you looking at the statistics, the performance, with the context of the way things were in 2011, 1998, 1985, Because if you're doing that, you're wasting your time. You have to look at any performance, team or individual, and put it within the context of the season in which it's happening. Offense is down around Major League Baseball. You look at a 241 team average and you're like, man, that's garbage. But then you look at the Cardinals in something like weighted runs created plus, which again, simply balances out ballparks. It accounts for what the league averages are. And the Cardinals are actually 4% above Major League average offensively this year. You're 7th in the National League, so you're middle of the pack, and you're just above average. What does that say to you? It says that the offense can be better and should be better, and there are definitely players on, that, on the team that need to be better. But as a whole, you're still better than most. We look at Something like offensive wins above replacement, according to Fangraph. You're sixth in the National League. Five teams better, nine teams are worse. This is not complicated. So the offense has not been good, but it's been okay. Now the problem with the offense, and this is where I think we we, we really have an, an area to dig into, is the lack of consistency right because if you look at the cardinals' performance this year and you look at you know again yesterday you had 10 runs today you had two and it's been that back and forth that's been the problem so the averages look okay because you have a 10-1 win and you have a 7-1 win and you have a 10-nothing win and a 7-5 and a 10-5 and an 8-3 so you have a you have a bunch of blowups where the offense is amazing on a given day and then scattered in the middle there you got three-game stretches where you score three runs, a two-game stretch where you score two runs. It's the inconsistency right now that's a bit maddening, right? I mean, that's how I see it is like you need to be a little bit more balanced. You need to be a little bit more consistent. And part of the problem, and this is actually a real problem, is that the Cardinals are not good against right-handed pitching. You know their 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 team OPS is 664 against right-handed pitching. It's not good. Against left-handed pitching, oh, wow, they they destroy it. 8 800 OPS, 813. Batting average, team batting average 30 points higher against lefties. Slugging percentage, like 70 points higher against lefties. So the problem for the Cardinals right now is handling right-handed pitching. Well, guess what? I mean, I think we know this, but the vast majority of major league pitchers are right-handed. And thus we see a bit of a problem that's emerging, right? They've got to be better against right-handed pitching. And that goes for some of the big dudes. Um, You know, Paul Goldschmidt this year. 726 OPS against right-handed pitching. Paul Goldschmidt's an all-star. He's a phenomenal player. He's got to be better than that against right-handed pitching. Tyler O'Neill's been terrible against right-hand pitching. I'm going to talk to you more about Tyler O'Neill here in a few minutes. Cuz I did a dive into what's going on there. Dylan Carlson needs to be better against right-handed pitching. Only a 647 OPS against right-handers. You know the guy that you brought in to be your DH against right-handers, Corey Dickerson. 490 OPS, man. I mean that's bad. That's that's a that's not even a bench player. You know, Albert, I mean, not trying to pick on the guy. You know, we all know who he is. We all know what magnitude player he's been. He's batting 080 against right-handed pitching right now. He is 2 for 25 against right-handed pitching. So, you know, it's a bit of a problem. It's the only way to put it. Now, there are some positive developments here in the last few days that might be able to help change this. Juan Yepes. He's hitting everybody, righties and lefties alike. I mean, he's crushing righties. Uh, Brendan Donovan doing a nice job against righties, almost a 900 OPS against right-handed pitching. So there are some things that could start to change this moving forward. That is something that needs to get changed. What is just mind-boggling to me, and I'm gonna, I want to get into this. I got a couple analogies that I want to use because I want to be clear in that I'm not saying that managers and coaches don't matter. They clearly do. But they don't matter as much as the players. And I don't know why baseball fans, but I think this is true around baseball. I don't think this is just a St. Louis Cardinals fan base thing. I think this is true around Major League Baseball. For some reason, hitting coaches are always the butt of the joke. Hitting coaches are always being ripped on, always being criticized, always, people are always demanding their heads. So I'm going to ask you this. I got a couple, again, a few different angles I want to get into on this. One of them is this. How many hitting coaches over the last 15 years have Cardinals fans actually been happy with? I'm going to go through them. We're going to talk about them. And we'll, we'll get into that because I've been here covering the Cardinals for almost 16 years. And I can only remember a couple years where people weren't bitching about the hitting coach. A couple of those McGuire years. And you know what's funny about those years? You had Albert. You had prime age Yachty. You had Lance Berkman. You had prime age David Fries. I mean, like, you had really good players. So I find that kind of an interesting coincidence, but I want to get into that for a minute. I want to ask why do we hold hitting coaches to a standard that we don't hold other coaches to? Why are we always calling for Jeff Albert's job, but nobody called for for Mike Maddox's job last year? I have an answer for that, by the way. It's not a good answer, but it is the answer. It's It's the explanation for why people do that. Also, for those years when Jose Okendo was on the coaching staff when they were not a good defensive infield. Why didn't nobody scream for Okendo's head? Well, number one, nobody cares about defense generally. But we like Jose. So we're not going to criticize somebody we like. We don't like Jeff Albert because he's new and he teaches all those new things that we don't like. We don't like science. We don't like math and machines and stuff. We like old school. Choke up, hit the ball on the ground, and run. We don't want any of that launch angle nonsense. And then then finally, I want to get into a broader thing when it comes to all sports. Head coaches, managers, positional coaches, hitting coaches, pitching coaches, whatever. There is another profession that is a lot like the coaching profession. And I think maybe if I use that as an example, you'll understand more where I'm going. So I want to dig deeper on all of that next up on KMOI.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?
1: music for me right now. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit pissed off and it's mostly because of frustrations related to stupidity. It's frustrations related to people who just don't take the time to learn the things that they should learn before they offer up their two cents on the big Twitter machine or, or better yet before you at me, don't at me. If you don't know what you're talking about, but I have my feelings and my feelings matter. No, they don't. I mean, they do to a degree, right? I mean, you know, you're a customer, so you're buying tickets and stuff. So, yes, your feelings matter in that regard. But I mean, like, they don't matter in that they don't change the facts, they don't change the reality of a given situation. So, let's talk a bit about hitting coaches, pitching coaches, coaches in general. Let's talk about why blame the hitting coach is always the easy answer. Uh, because I don't think anybody truly understands what a hitting coach does. I mean, we, you know, I've had many people on it before that, that have had that job um, and try to explain it, uh, but the modern hitting coach really is the guy that really helps you put together the game plan, right? You, you scout the opposing pitchers. You use your own strengths and weaknesses as a part of the factor. Hitters have to – but the fact of the matter is that the professional athlete – who has a bat in his hand, has to be able to go out and execute a plan. You have to be able to hit the baseball. You have to be able to do the things required of you. And what's always frustrating to me about this idea that it's always the coach, and for whatever reason, we always want to blame hitting coaches. We don't want to blame fielding, like infield coaches. We don't blame pitching coaches to the same degree. Even though fielders and pitchers have a lot more control over their own success and failure than hitters do. Hitters have to react in four-tenths of a second to pitchers throwing a 100 freaking miles an hour with breaking pitches that are created in laboratories. Like, they have the hardest job in sports. Not the physically most demanding, just the most difficult to do. The highest failure rate may be the better way to put it. And, you know, when a a hitter swings through a fastball right down the middle, that's not the hitting coach's fault. When he fouls off the cookie, or he gets jammed by it, or he hits it off the end of the bat, or he takes it, that's not the guy sitting in the dugout his fault and I, I I just I feel like it's just such an easy reactionary thing maybe because it's easier to believe or maybe it's easier to hope that your team will just fire the guy that you think is stupid replace him with someone you think is smart whoever that might be and then that will fix everything. And the reality is it won't. Because the players have to hit. Players play. Coach's job is to give them the information they need about, you know, what the opponent will try to do to them. Whether you're a hitter or a pitcher, you know how to attack your opponent. Defensively, where to position yourself. You go over fundamentals, you hit fungos, you work in the cage. But ultimately, in the game, the player has to do the job when when the ball is hit to them, when the batter is in the box, when the the pitcher is on the mound ready to deliver the pitch. It is not Mike Maddox's fault that Steven Matz threw a 96-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle to Jorge Mateo today, and Jorge Mateo deposited it into the bullpen. That is not the pitching coach's fault. And it's funny because we seem to grasp that with pitching coaches. We seem to understand. You know, nobody was calling for Mike Maddox's head last year when the Cardinals couldn't, when their pitching staff as a whole just couldn't throw strikes. Well, the reason they couldn't throw strikes is because they had too many guys out there that were not strike throwers. Daniel Ponce de Leon and John Gant and Johan Oviedo. And, I mean, like, go on down the list of all the guys that, that you know, Alex Reyes wasn't Mike Maddox's fault that Alex Reyes walks the house. It's Alex Reyes's fault. We seem to get that. But I want to get into that explanation for why people are always blaming Jeff Albert. You know why people are always blaming him? And you know why the people like Mike Maddox and always liked Jose Okendo and never blamed Okendo for any problems with infield defense? And by the way, shouldn't have. I want to be very clear about that. Like, you shouldn't have blamed him because he wasn't the dude out there at being asked to catch the baseball. But nobody ever asked, because you know why? You know why? Because we like the old school guys. Because we understand old school. We understand what Jose Okendo is doing. It's the Cardinal way. It's, he's the secret weapon. We trust him. We know him. He's been around forever. We know what he's doing and what he's teaching is the old school. We know Mike Maddox. He's been around the big leagues for a long time. He's, You know, his brother is Greg. I mean, they're old school pitching guys. People don't like Jeff Albert because Jeff Albert is young and new and you don't understand what he's doing and that pisses you off. That's why you don't like Jeff Albert. Because what he does is different than what you learned as a kid. It's different than what you thought people were doing as hitting coaches in the past. But he's doing exactly the kinds of things that the most successful offensive teams are doing. He's doing the kinds of things that the Astros and the Dodgers and the Yankees and the offensive firepower teams are doing. It's not the hitting coach's fault that your shortstop who just got demoted can't hit a breaking ball. And has not, by the way, gotten... And by the way, who that, that shortstop has gotten worse every year for the last four years. Just like, by the way, it's not the hitting coach's credit when a player is good. <laughs> we do too much of the credit and blame thing. Like, they have a job to do. If they're doing that job well, sometimes the team will have success, sometimes they won't. We just don't seem to grasp that. And I asked a guy last night on Twitter, I'm like, did you blame... Jose Okendo in twenty eighteen when the Cardinals infield defense was terrible? When Jose Martinez was playing first base and making all those errors? When Matt Carpenter and Jed Jerko were splitting time at third base. Actually, really, it was a three of those guys splitting third and first, right? Were you mad at Okendo then? Because you would have been a ridiculous person if you were. It would be totally stupid to blame him for that. Did you blame Dave Duncan, when Carlos Martinez would be weird sometimes, or when a pitcher that the Cardinals brought in failed or floundered or struggled or got beat up or whatever. Of course not. Why would you do that? Because you know Dave Duncan. You know his history. You know he's a veteran. You know he's old school. And what we're seeing with the thing about Jeff Albert is the rebellion against the new school. It's fans that do not want to learn how things are done in the modern game. They'd rather just fall back on what they've always known or what they've always heard, and anything new is what makes you mad. God forbid you pay, you pay attention to the fact that the systems that are being put into place by Jeff Albert are being followed by Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, Brendan Donovan, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, Alec Burleson, Lucan Baker, Yvonne Herrera. The guys I'm listing are all of the Cardinals' top prospects who are all hitting the living crap out of the ball. All right, I want to get one other angle in on this next up. Because, again, I'm telling you, I firmly believe that is why people do not like Jeff Albert. Because he's new school. And everybody likes to whine about new school. We don't understand it. I don't want to hear launch angle. I don't want to hear barrels... Well, guess what, man? That's how it works. And by the way, everybody's known those things forever. I've said this a million times. I'll say it one more. Ted Williams talked about launch angle. He didn't say the term. He didn't say those words. He didn't say launch or angle. He just said you need to hit with a slight uppercut. Uppercut. That's what he said. Not uppercut. I don't know what that is. He said you need to hit with a slight uppercut. In other words, you want to hit the ball in the air. In fact, that's something he talked about a lot, too. But I want to get to that next part. There's an analogy for coaching that I'd like to make. And I think it's one that will ring true with everybody, I hope. There's another profession that does exactly what coaches do. And the results are very often related to the talent that they have around them as opposed to the very specific things that they do. And I'll get into that next on KMOX. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. You bet. This is Sports Open Line on KMOX. All right, so let's do that one analogy that I wanted to do, and then I want to get specifically into Tyler O'Neill and what's causing his struggles because he's struggling. And look, there, there's no doubt, guys. I mean, uh, the the Cardinals' offense. Is streaky and erratic because a lot of their players are streaky and erratic. And I do think the big picture comes down to one key problem. And the one key problem is they are not good enough against right-handed pitching. That can change. It's we're nineteen percent of the way through the season. So, you know, the, the things that are true now may not be true in a month, but we can only talk about what we have now, so we talk about that. And I want to get into the same, this idea with Tyler O'Neill. Like, what's different from last year? Why, what, where are the, where are the problem signs and are the things that he can fix? We'll get to that in a couple, in a couple minutes. I want to just make an analogy, right? Because people have this weird idea that somehow coaches, head coaches, position coaches, coordinators, hitting coaches, pitching coaches, infield coaches, it doesn't matter what sport it is, it doesn't matter what thing that. Somehow, they're the ones kind of directing the show. Now, they are instructing. They are helping. They are teaching. But I wanted to make the analogy between coaches and teachers because a coach is a teacher. It just happens to be somebody teaching a sport as opposed to math or science or social studies or whatever. Is a teacher a bad teacher when they happen to have a year where there aren't as many high academic achievers in their class? And are they a better teacher the next year when they have more academic achievers in their class? Like, aren't the results that you're going to get, either on regular tests or standardized tests or whatever, aren't they going to be largely about who your students are rather than who you are? I mean, I think of it this way. I had teachers that I grew up with that, Um, I, I don't think I really had any teachers I didn't like, but I had some that I'm like, eh, like, sorry, Mrs. Jenkins from fifth grade, but didn't, didn't really impact me very much. I didn't hate Mrs. Jenkins. She was nice, but I don't look back and go, wow, you know, I really learned some big things from that. Mrs. Proden on the other hand, rest in peace, man, my eighth grade teacher, she set me straight, man, like made a big impact on me. And Probably didn't have that same impact on everybody else. Is that on the teacher? If if you've got a, a classroom full of C students and they all get Cs, is that the teacher's fault? If you got a if you've got a class of A students, they get A's and everything, they have every year, they always do. High high standardized test scores, the whole deal. Is that really your do you get credit for that as a teacher when you have that? Because really guys, that's what we're talking about with coaching. You you're there to help, you're there to make people better, same thing as a teacher. You're there to help people achieve what they can achieve. You're help you're there to make them better. But my better and your better and somebody else's better may not be exactly the same. And this is the part that I think everybody should be able to understand. You could probably think back to your educational childhood or even, you know, in high school or college. And you can think back and you're like, you know what? There's that kid in my class that never did his homework. Blew it all off and he got a C minus. That wasn't the teacher's fault. There's nothing the teacher did wrong there. Presented the information in class. That kid wasn't taking notes. That kid was daydreaming. It's gets a C on the test. That's not the teacher's fault. Coach gives the hitter the game plan. Game plan is in place. And by the way, as a hitter, you got to be able to adjust on the fly because pitchers change what they're doing. But Like I said earlier, you get a fastball down the middle and you miss it. How's that the coach's fault? Or again, in the case of a pitching coach, I mentioned this with Steven Matz earlier. You miss with a fastball right down the middle. That's not the pitching coach's fault. Come on, man. And I, and I think that's something that we need to do a better job of understanding. I mean, like, you think of the all-time great coaches in sports, right? Phil Jackson's a legend. What's Phil Jackson if he never has Michael Jordan? And Scottie Pippen? And Shaq? And Kobe? What What's his record if he never coaches that caliber of player? Hmm. What's Tony LaRussa if he never had McGuire and Canseco and Dave Stewart and Dennis Ackersley and Albert Pujols and Jim Edmonds and Scott Rowland and all? I mean, like, I think every coach, every manager will tell you without the players, you're not going to get it done. And it's not a cop out, it's not an excuse, it's the reality. And I'll close it on this. Sparky Anderson made this point a long time ago. The players make the manager. It is never the other way around. And that's true for every head football coach, every hockey coach, every basketball coach, every assistant coach in all of those sports. It's on the players to do their jobs. All right, let's talk about what's going on with Tyler O'Neill. I mean, he's. He's really struggling, and it's a big difference compared to last year. Where are the differences? How fixable are these things? How fast can they be fixed? We'll get into that next up on Camel X. All right, we'll start things off here on the Strike Zone with What's on Deck, sponsored by Chesterfield Fence and Deck. You'll find them at chesterfieldfence.com. What's on Deck is the three-game series against the Giants starting tomorrow night. Jordan Hicks will start for the Cardinals. It'll be Logan Webb for the Giants. So... That's a tough assignment for Cardinals hitters. He's pretty stinking good. So we'll see if the offense can muster a little or if the pitching staff can just do their thing. I mean, they do have the third best uh, team ERA in the National League right now. So they're the ones that are really kind of keeping things going while the offense is either hit or miss at this point. Uh, That's going to bring me to my final thing, final part of the segment and uh, building the future. Sponsored by Graybar Electric, headquartered in St. Louis, a great place to work. Um, talking for building the future, when I want to build back Tyler O'Neill's offense. Um, last year, he, it was a breakout year, and there was nothing lucky, fraudulent, or bogus about it. He hit the ball harder than most hitters in the major leagues. He hit the ball hard more frequently than most hitters. Um, everything that he did was backed up by the batted ball data. There was nothing there where you're looking at it saying, well, you know, he got, he got some batted ball luck. Actually, no, he didn't. He actually... Uh, was better than the numbers would indicate. That's the crazy part is that he should have gotten even more out of the year than he did, uh, based on what would turn out to be a little bit of bad luck that worked against him, which is hard to believe when you're looking at those numbers. So what's changed? You know, look at last year. You know, he was in the top five, six percent in expected production, bad You know, a- average exit velocity, hard hit rate, all of that. Well, a lot of that's changed this year. You know, he's no longer in that range. He's now, instead of the top 5 or 6%, he, he's in the 51st percentile in average exit velocity. Last year, his hard hit rate was in the top 5% in baseball. He's in the bottom 30% right now in Major League Baseball. So why? I, I, you know, why is that? His strikeout rate is actually better than it was last year. His walk rate is better than it was last year. So what the heck's going on? Well, uh, more weak contact, and we saw some of that today. A lot of that has to do with swing decisions. When you're swinging at pitches that you don't handle very well and you're making some contact, you're going to have a problem. So, for example, last year and this year, he had the same chase rate. In other words, pitches you swing at outside the zone. This year, he's actually putting more of those in play, which means more weak contact. So his contact rate on chase pitches, his contact rate on pitches outside the zone is up 5-6%, which is resulting in weak contact. So when he hits the ball hard, he still hits it really hard. But he's now counterbalancing that with more soft contact on pitches outside the zone. Here's another thing that's different this year. Pitchers are pitching him differently. Last year he saw fastballs 54% of the time. That's down to 47% of the time. So he's seeing fewer fastballs. Well, I wonder why he's seeing fewer fastballs. Well, because he destroyed them last year. He slugged 585 against fastballs and hit 313. So when you look at teams and how they adjust to a hitter, people looked at that and said, hmm, this guy really hits fastballs well. Let's not throw him as many of those anymore. And they're not. And he's not having the same amount of success on changeups or breaking balls. Last year against off speed pitches, so off speed would be any non fastball that's not a curveball or a slider. So change-ups, splitters, things like that. Last year he hit over three hundred against those. This year he's hitting a buck fifty against them and with no power. Last year he slugged four fifty seven against those. This year he's slugging a buck fifty four. Nothing but singles. Two singles. He's actually two for thirteen against those off speed pitches. He's only hitting a buck 22 against breaking pitches this year. Last year, he only hit 238 against breaking pitches, but he slugged 500. So, 549 against them. Well, he's only slugging a buck 95 against breaking balls this year. So, the biggest difference is he's seeing the fewest number of fastballs that he has ever seen in his career, and he's back to struggling against breaking balls. Well, that's what he struggled against in 2018, 2019, and 2020. So the question now is, was last year a fluke when it comes to hitting the breaking ball? Because he's, generally speaking, he's always pretty much hit well against fastballs. Most hitters do. And this year, he's not hitting the fastball very well, but actually, he's had some bad batted ball luck on fastballs. Like he's slugging 468, the expected slug based on the quality of contact is almost 600. So he's had a little bad luck on that, which means he's probably flying out on some pitches that last year would have been home runs. And some of that is the dead ball. Because the ball is traveling, I forget exactly how much, it's traveling like eight feet less than it did last year. So the the real simple version of what's wrong with Tyler O'Neill is he's swinging at pitches out of the zone a little more often than he used to, which is leading to weaker contact on those swings. And he's getting more of the pitches that he's not handling well. He's not getting fastballs. Now, how do you change that? Well, I mean, you got to stop chasing. You got to stop swinging at the pitches on the edges of the zone. And then you can't miss when you get the ones that are in the zone. Because he is missing on some fastballs now that he did not miss last year. Ground ball rate is fine. Line drive rate is actually better than it was last year. So I don't think he's very far off. Better swing decisions should be more than enough to get him going. Now we got five months to see whether or not he's going to get it going. Cardinals and the Giants tomorrow night here on KMOX. Looking forward to it. We'll talk to you guys then.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?